Today, we are continuing to look at uh, part of our story, and I just want to kind of set that up by asking you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you didn't expect to be? So you found yourself in a place or in a situation, you thought, how on earth did I get here? This isn't where I expected to be. It happens to me quite a lot when I go overseas, and often it can happen if I'm in a new country, when I go to the toilet. Because if you go into a public toilet and you think to yourself, the name or the symbol on the door, it must be the gents, and you walk boldly and confidently in, and it's not the gents at all. And I've had a few embarrassing situations like that. And then also, many years ago, um, I remember going to a wedding, and it was in this big hotel. There were lots of different function rooms. I was a bit late, I went into the reception. And as I walked in through the door, I walked into the door and there was the cake and there was loads of people there and people were milling around. And so I just picked up a drink. And, and then the bride and groom came in and the, the, you know, the, the, the master of ceremonies introduced the bride and the groom. And as they walked in, I thought, I've never seen you before in my life. I'm in the wrong wedding. But I, just, I didn't want to just slip out because it was a bit embarrassing. So I just stood there with a drink. And then a lady turned around to me and said, oh, they're a lovely couple, aren't they? And I went, yeah, they're great, aren't they? And toasted this couple that I'd never met before in my life. And then also, third little story. And this doesn't involve me, but it involves my wife. Um, have I had permission? Is that all right? Yes, there you go. <laughs> she didn't look too bad. Uh, so a few years ago, she was in South Africa um, with a, another friend who is an elder at this church. And I won't tell you what her name is, but it wasn't Iris. So if you know who the elders are, you'll know who it is. And they were visiting Hands at Work uh, in South Africa, which is the partner organization that we work with in Africa. And at the end of the trip, they had to travel five hours from there to the airport. And there was only one turning that they had to make. They just had to turn right at one junction, and then it's a straight road to the airport. The thing is, the other person, not Alison, who I won't mention, but it wasn't Iris, the other female elder, um, she was map reading. One turn, didn't make it. Hours aren't in the journey, chatting away, chatting away, chatting away. Suddenly they appear on the border of Swaziland, which is completely the opposite direction to Johannesburg Airport. You can end up in your life in a place where you didn't expect to be. And our character, the story, the guy that we're looking at over these next few weeks, the guy called Joseph, he had that time and time again. If you remember two weeks ago when we started the series, uh, he was this young lad at 17, immature, a little bit arrogant, but he had a dream. And uh, his dad gave him the coat and, uh, and he told his brothers all about the dream that God had given him actually. And they didn't like it. They didn't like the fact that he was popular. They didn't like the fact that he was a telltale and that his dad favoured him. And they stripped the coat off his back and they threw him in a pit and they left him for dead. He didn't expect to be there. Then they came back and they sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. He ended up in a place called Potiphar's house. And we're going to look at that uh, a little bit this morning. But then after that, he ended up in prison. He ended up time and time again in a place where he didn't expect to be. But here's the interesting thing. All the way through that story, there's a phrase that keeps recurring, and it's this phrase, the Lord, or God, was with Joseph. When he was in the pit, God was with him. When he was in Potiphar's palace, you know, as, 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 as the master of the house, really, God was with him. When he was in the prison, God was with him. And it may be this morning that you don't know why you're here, that you've ended up here in church this morning, and this is a place you didn't really expect to be. And as we go through this next hour or so, you might think, this isn't really what I expected it to be. But we want you to know God is with you whether you know it or not. And it may be that you do know why you're here and that you are a Christian, that you're a believer. But right now you've ended up in your life in a place where you didn't expect it to be. This doesn't look like what you thought life would look like right now. We want you to know God is with you. God is with you. And in this next hour that you're with us, we hope and pray that by the end of this time that you're with us, that as you go out these doors, you'll go out thinking, do you know what? Wherever I am in my life, 
wherever I am in the journey of life, I can know that God is with me. I'm going to ask you a question now, okay? Um, I'm going to disappear for a moment. You're not going to leave. Is that all right? Okay, just don't leave. I'm going to go behind there. I promise you I'll come back. There may be a disappointment to some of you, but I will come back. I just need to fetch something. But I want you to promise me that when I go back there, I'm not going to come back and you've all disappeared. Now, I've said that. That's given you an idea, hasn't it? So I'm going to keep talking, okay, because I'm literally only going to be a couple of seconds. I just need this thing here, this prop, to help me to explain, hopefully, something to you. Any of you into fishing? See your hands? Anyone, anyone like fishing? <laughs> Two of you, okay. Yeah, I don't get it neither. But <laughs> it always looks a little bit too dull and quiet, but I'm sure it's not. But I was uh, reading a book this week, because uh, <laughs> I'm sad like that, and there was an illustration in this book about fly fishing. Now, this isn't fly fishing, because it's got a float on the end of it, if you can see the float. But if you go fly fishing, you haven't got a float like that, but you've got these really bright flies and feathers, and they're all very bright and shiny. And um, apparently, as I was reading this story, it says, if you want to catch a fish through fly fishing, you need to think like a fish, which apparently isn't very difficult. Because apparently, a fish basically thinks like this. I see a fly, I want a fly, I eat a fly. <laughs> basically it. You see, when the, when the fisherman throws, and I really want to cast this out over you, but that could, could be very awkward, that could. When, when the fly hits the water, the fish, who may have been caught many times before, can only think like this, I see a fly, I want a fly, I eat a fly. Fish don't really reflect much. So fish that are swimming down in, in, in rivers and stuff, you know, you don't get this fish who's been swimming in a river for years and years, suddenly stop and say, where am I going with my life? You know, what is this all about? I've reached my 40s now, what have I got to show for it? Isn't it time I got a motorbike? You know, fish don't do that. And you don't see these two fish that have been swimming together for a long time. They've got this really great relationship going. You don't see the one fish uh, stop and turn around to the other one and say, where's our relationship going? You know, I, I think you're only interested in me for my gills. I mean, what, what is going on here, really? And it just doesn't happen. Fish are basically a combination of stomach, mouth, and eyes. They see a fly. They want to fly. They eat a fly. And we call groups of them schools. But I don't know why we do that, because they never learn. Because even if they've been caught before, when they see the fly again, they look at it and they see a fly and they want a fly and they eat a fly. And what they forget is this. There is always a hook. There is always a hook. Now you'd think that they'd get it, wouldn't you? You'd think that having been caught before and in the mercy and the grace of the fishermen, they've been thrown back in the river. You'd think next time they see a bright, shiny thing, they're going to go, hang on a minute, see a fly, want a fly, but I'm not going to eat a fly. Because there is always a hook. But fish are stupid. Every time they see a fly, they want a fly, they eat a fly, they get hooked every single time. But aren't you glad, ladies and gentlemen, that human beings are not like that? We're not like that, are we, folks? When we see bright, shiny things, even if we want them, we stop and we think, there may be a hook. What we don't do is we don't see a fly, eat a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. We stop and we reflect and we ask some questions, don't we? Actually, we don't a lot of the time. Which is why you often hear in the press, don't you, about a leader, uh, perhaps a politician or, or a business leader who's got everything, who's got life and leadership and influence and power and loses it all over one indiscretion. 
Or you see a couple who've been married, to, married for over 20 years and, and they start to perhaps drift apart and, and the guy starts texting innocuously one of the, his work colleagues and the texts go from innocuous stuff to flirting and, and then they start meeting up and before you know where they are there's an affair and there's a wrecked marriage and there's family chaos and there's, there's all kinds of stuff. Or, or, or you see that, that woman that's on the outside has got everything together, but secretly her credit card bills are piling up and up because she just can't stop buying stuff. Or you see that man who in his public life everything's fantastic, but in his private life is a complete mess because he's addicted to porn and nobody knows it. You see, with temptation there is always, always a hook. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning because in our story that we are looking at, Our hero, Joseph, who we started talking about earlier on today, he comes to a moment in his life where he is faced with temptation. Now, temptation comes in lots of ways, shapes, and forms. Uh, There is material temptation, which is the desire for stuff. Okay, bright, shiny thing. Have to have it. Have to have it. Hook. Okay, there is also uh, the personal temptation, the desire for success, fame, achievement, to be significant. You know, I want to be valued, I want to do something. That's a bright, shiny thing that can hook us as well. And then there's sensual temptation, often sexual temptation, but other things as well. And that's the, the lust or the desire for pleasure. Temptation is part of what it means to be human. And I want to suggest to you that if we don't master temptation, temptation will master us. Now I'm aware that this morning there's lots of different people here and some of you are, you would say you are believers of Jesus and you want to follow God. So you decided to set on that road. So you live your life wanting to honour God and do what God wants you to do. Isn't that right? Is there anybody here like that? Right. So for you, temptation is really important because temptation will pull you away from those values that you say are important to you. Now there are others of you here, you may not be a believer of God, you may not even believe in God, but there are values and things that are important to you. Temptation is just as real for you as well. Because there will be things, bright shiny things, that will pull you away from values that you are committed to. And I hope that this morning's talk from the Bible will help you, whoever you are, whether you are not a believer, whether you are a believer, or whether you're not quite sure, I hope that this talk will help you. And the story that we're going to look at is this guy called Joseph. We're going to look at Joseph's story. Right in the the beginning of our series, um, if you remember, it kicked off with a mime uh, here in this dressing room here. And uh, then we focused on the young man Joseph at the age of 17 was given this coat, but not the exact one, because that would be interesting, wouldn't it, if we had the exact one? But it wasn't that one, that's just a replica. Uh, and, And he had this dream that God gave him for his life where actually all his brothers would bow down and worship him. And that seems a crazy dream. And he told his brothers that, which was crazy. And he told his dad that and his mom that. And they all felt a little bit kind of funny with him. And, and they, his brothers, not only funny, they got envious and they got full of jealousy and hate. And they stripped it off his back and they threw him in a pit. Then they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And then last week, Simon helped us uh, looking at that story of where he was. He had a dream, but he found himself in a pit. Then he found himself in a prison. And he found himself really far away from what he thought life was about. But God was with him. But in between the pit and the prison, there's this little story that we're going to look at in Genesis 39. So let me just read the first part to you. And we'll look at how Joseph begins to face this temptation. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Israelites and had him taken there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. 
From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And listen to this. And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Because he's a man. Okay? So everything else is sorted and he didn't think about anything but the food he ate because that's really important. So what you see here is that Joseph prospered in Potiphar's house. Why did he prosper? Prosper. A few reasons. Firstly, he had a God who was with him. That's what the Bible says. So when he was here, um, back in, in Canaan, you know, in, in Israel, if, if you like, God was with him uh, and that was fine. Then when he was put in the pit, God was with him. But then when he was here in Potiphar's house, he prospered because his God was with him wherever he went. He was his guardian. He was with him wherever he went. He prospered. But secondly, he also prospered because he embraced his second choice world. What do I mean by that? That's a phrase from a book by, written by a guy called Viv Thomas. He used to uh, work for OM and, and he wrote this book some years ago which really impacted me at the time because we were going through the whole thing of having our son diagnosed with having autism and learning difficulty and, and a whole future of what that meant. And, and I read this book at the time and the guy in the book said, you know, most people never get their first choice world. You know that, don't you? You see, you might have it, you say, well, this is my first choice husband or my first choice wife and this is my first choice job. But something in your life will come in at some point where it's not your first choice, it's your second, your third or even your fourth. And actually, we then have a choice of how we're going to respond to our second choice world. Are we going to make the most of it and invite God into it because we, have, we don't have any options, we only have one life, it's not a dress rehearsal or are we going to bemoan the fact that it isn't our first choice world and of course that's real as well. And are we going to stay stuck in that or are we going to invite God into it so actually God can make what he wants to make even of our, our second choice worlds. And that's what Joseph did. He embraced his second choice world. And that's why he prospered. And, but th- and thirdly, he embraced it in such a way that he was a good worker. And I want to say this to those of you who are believers, okay? If you're not, then you don't need to listen to this bit. But if you are a believer, just because God is with you is no excuse for us being lousy workers. Didn't really hear an amen for that, okay? But I'm really passionate about this. The Bible is clear that we work because God works and work is a kingdom value. And if you're a Christian this morning, we should be great workers. That means that we're in on time, we don't clock off early, we do a great job when the boss is watching and when the boss isn't. We're faithful, we're loyal, we do the best job that we can. We have a great attitude because we're serving God, the Bible says, not just our boss. And that's what Joseph did. And, and, and he looked at him, and, and, and Potiphar looked at him and said, wow, this guy who's got God with him, he's a great worker. And he trusted, he entrusted everything into Joseph's care. But you know, I, I've discovered something else, that in that position, Joseph went one stage further. He also talked to his boss about God. How do I know that? Because in verse 3, it says, Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. And the word that's used in the original text, the Hebrew text for Lord, is the word Yahweh, which is, we sang it in a song just a few minutes ago. Now, that is a name of God, a Hebrew name, that was reserved for them, and it was very special and very sacred. And it wasn't revealed to the Egyptians until much later. So for Potiphar to use that word suggests that Joseph must have spoken to Potiphar about his God. And he must have said, and we call him Yahweh, by the way. So so he must have had that interaction. So not only did he do a good job, but he used that workplace as an opportunity to talk about God. 
Now, if you're a believer as well this morning, and you're in work, or you're in a home, or you're, or you're at school, or college, or university, or you're in the community, you're placed there for a reason, okay? It may not be your first choice, but it could be your second. It might be your third, fourth, or fifth, or seventeenth. I don't know, but you're there for a reason, and you are a missionary for God. Do you know that? See, we tend to think the missionaries are people that, that we put on planes and send them to the side of the world. No, they're not. They're people who know that where they're sent, they're on a mission. And so tomorrow, when you're at work or school or college or uni, you're there. You can not only live a good life, but you can also use opportunities to talk to people about who your God is and what he means to you. And that's what Joseph did. But as Joseph was prospering, Joseph was also tempted. How was he tempted? The temptation that Joseph faced began in the eyes of his master's wife. Doesn't so much temptation in your life and my life begin in our eyes, doesn't it? In fact, a few weeks ago, Alison and myself were on holiday in Turkey. And uh, we, she hadn't had a, a holiday since last summer. She's working very hard at work. And so I said, look, let's just do a last minute deal. And let's go to Turkey for a week. And uh, so we went and we had a great time. We didn't do a lot for the first four or five days apart from lie in the sun and all of that kind of stuff and just veg out and read some books and listen to some music. And towards the end of the week, we said, let's go into the local town. So we got on this bus uh, in our hotel, uh, just outside our hotel and we went into the local town. And on the bus, there were two other couples, English couples, from our hotel. We got chatting to them. And as we got to, to, to the bus stop in the town, Fetier, uh, we got off and uh, we started walking with these two couples and we were chatting and said, let's just walk together and hang together and it was all good. And one of the couples, the guy, was incredibly ripped. His arms were huge. He was a bodybuilder. I mean, honestly, massive, massive arms. Completely hench, I think the word is. I'm not quite sure what that means. I'm hoping I've heard the same one. And as we're walking, this is the amazing thing. As we're walking down the street, in the, there's all these bazaars in Turkey. All these fellas kept coming out and kept touching his shoulders and his arms saying, great body, mate, great body, mate. I thought, it's weird. And then his wife, or, or girlfriend actually, who was not unattractive, she just seemed oblivious to it all. And so I said to her, are you okay with this? That all these guys are coming and, and ogling the body of your, of your boyfriend. She said, oh, I'm used to it. And then I said to her, yeah, I get the same as well. <laughs> At that point, she said, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> but what was really interesting was that he turned around and said, yeah, I get this abroad, but back home, it's the other way around. And I just, I just thought, isn't that interesting? So much in our eyes, isn't it, of what we see. Because like, to me, it's like in England, it would be guys will be looking at the girl. And yet here was all these guys thinking, oh, great body, my Because we want what we see when we look at somebody else. But the thing is, here's the funny thing. The problem is with our eyes, they are so, so deceiving. Verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, and this is not the most subtle line in the world, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now, I want to talk a little bit about sexual temptation now, because that's the story. But I don't want you just to think about sexual temptation. This is relevant for whatever the fly is in your life. Whatever is the bright, shiny thing that you see, that you want, that you eat, it always comes with a hook. And for Joseph, what's happening here 
is that day after day, his master's wife comes to him and says, come to bed with me. I say, not the most subtle of temptations. Usually sexual temptation doesn't start quite as open as that. It usually starts with looks and lingers and texts and flirts and interactions and subtleties and words and meetings and all of that stuff before it ever ends up with this kind of line, come to bed with me. And she doesn't give up. Day after day, the Bible says. Now you would have thought that Joseph might have thought, hang on a minute, why don't I just do this? Life's been rubbish for me. I would have the coat ripped off my back. I was thrown in a pit at the age of 17. I was sold by my brothers into slavery. Here I am doing a great job for the master. Who's going to know I deserve it? But he doesn't do it. Because Joseph's bright enough, not like a fish, he knows that there is always a hook. And even though he may look to it and said, see a fly, want a fly, eat a fly, he's not going to do it because he knows that there is always, always a hook. And so he says no. And he doesn't give in. And why doesn't he give in? Four reasons. Loyalty. Hmm. That's, that's a great value, isn't it? Loyalty. Don't you think? He says, actually, he says, Potiphar, your husband, put me in charge. He trusted me with this job. I am going to be loyal to him. But also there was a sense of empathy as well. Because he said, you're his wife. I don't want to hurt his feelings. You're his wife. It's a great character in this guy. Also, I think there was respect, not only for Potiphar, but for his wife. You see, she hasn't got a lot of respect for herself by just saying this to him, but he's still got respect for her by not giving in. And, and, and I, I don't want to be too hard on guys because this is, this is the same both way around, but sometimes we look at women with a total lack of respect, don't we? And we look at them as objects to desire, oh, a bright, shiny fly. And actually, they're people made in the image of God. And, and Joseph has this respect towards her. But you know, the real reason, the real reason why he didn't give in, those were all reasons, the underlying reason, the foundational reason, was not just the loyalty, not just the empathy, not just the respect, it was his devotion to God. Because he said, you know what, I kind of could do this and nobody would know, but I tell you who would know, God. How could I do such a wicked and sinful thing to God? Wow. Here is a man who knows who he is and he is not going to let the fly catch him because the hook will pull him along and before he knows where he is, he's off on a different path. Here's the problem though with standing against temptation. It's never over. Have you noticed that? Because look at verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. So he must be thinking, hang on a minute, something's a little different today. Like, where are all the rest of the servants? Where's the staff? Where's everybody gone? And then she, the Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, again, she hasn't got a lot of different lines in her repertoire, this woman, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Sometimes courage is standing your ground. Sometimes courage is running as fast as you can. And what happens to, to Joseph is not this robe. You need to think it's more of this type of robe. It's a very functional work robe. But what happens is that as she grabs his robe, he says, you know what? I am not staying here a moment longer. And he runs off. She grabs it. He probably flees the house naked or at best with his undergarments on. So he lost his coat again. He loses his coat again, but he holds on to his integrity. Which would you rather have? The outside the coat, or the inside, the integrity, and the character. I want to say to you, strength 
is not merely an ability to resist temptation. True strength lies in refusing to go where you know temptation will be. Now, I know this is obvious in sexual temptation. This is the true with everything, though. So can I just say a few things, all right? Young people, (laughs) not just young people. If you're not yet married, okay, it is too late to talk about sexual boundaries when you're on the bed with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's too late. Because you're already putting yourself in a situation where stuff's going to happen and you're just a lot more like a fish than what you'd like to admit. And you see a flight, white flight, all that stuff. And before you know where you are, you're hooked. And that's true for many of us. Guys, you know, there'll be some of us here in this room and we're guys and we want to we be sexually pure and we want to live sexually pure lives, but we watch all kinds of junk. Rather than running right away from it, We try and get as close as we can to the edge to it and still stay pure. You're stupid if you do that. Absolutely stupid. You're like a fish. Because what the fish will do is it will say, I'll get close, I'll get close, see it, want it, eat it, boom, and you're hooked. That's what fish do. We should be much sharper and brighter than that. So what does all this mean for us and for our own temptations? Because we all have them. This is our story. What's our story? Well, there's a couple of brilliant verses in the New Testament. So Joseph's story is in the Old Testament. That's the first part of the Bible. Thousands of years later, a guy called Paul, who writes a lot of the New Testament books, he writes in 1 Corinthians. In your notes, it says 2 Corinthians. It's a mistake. I'm sorry about that. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 and 13. And this is what he says. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's a great couple of practical verses. And I want to give you six practical things that can help you if you want to stay true to your values and you don't want to get hooked by the fly of temptation. Okay? Number one, you've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to know what your fly is. Okay, if you don't know what your fly is, then when bright shiny thing comes along, you will just get hooked. You've got to know what it is. And you might say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not like that. You know, I've got much more, uh, you know, self-control. You know, I'm not kind of, I don't get addicted by stuff. I don't get focused into bright shiny things. I just got two words for you. Candy crush. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you are, you're looking sheepish right now. Okay, some of you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. There are these bright, shiny things that come along and we think we've got self-control, but all of a sudden we realize we haven't. You've got to be honest with yourself. What is the fly for you? I know what mine are. I've got more than one, but I know what mine are. And I know that if I get too close to some of these things, I do not have the level of self-control that I want to have. And so I say, do you know what? I can't get that close. I've got to take a long step back. So the first thing is be honest, know what your fly is. Secondly, ask for help. You know, a few months ago, we looked at a series, didn't we, called Only the Brave. And one of the phrases we used in that was, only the brave refuse to live life alone. You see, we tend to think that being brave means you go it alone. That's weakness, not strength. Real strength is when you say, do you know what? I need some help. And so we can ask God for some help, because God does do that, and we'll see that, show, show that in a minute. But also, other people can help us. Because they can sometimes help us to see the fly that we can't see. They can help us by being accountable to us. On Tuesday, I'm going to meet up with a group of guys we meet every so often. We live all different parts of the country. We've been meeting for 20 years. And one of the things that we'll do, as well as catching up and talking about leadership, we'll ask each other some questions about how's our marriage and how's our thought life and sex life and all this kind of stuff because we want to hold each other accountable. And we want to kind of help each other to be the men that we want to be in God's sight. 
So ask for help. That's really important. Thirdly, ask yourself, where will this lead? See, a fish never asks that, do they? When they're biting on it, they never ask the question as they look at that fly, where might this lead? You'd think that sometimes one of them would say, I've done this before. And it doesn't end well. It ends up with this big hook in my mouth and being flapping around in some guy's net. But we never ask where it will lead. I can't tell you how many people I have sat with in my office or somewhere else in their house and heard a story and just my heart was just breaking, thinking, oh my goodness, you've lost your marriage, your family, your dignity, your self-respect, your sense of connection with God, and you've lost that all because way, way, way back, you didn't ask where will this lead. You just allowed yourself to see the fly, want the fly, eat the fly, and you were hooked. Ask yourself, where will this lead? Keep reminding yourself of your values. Who are you? What do you really believe? What's really important to you? Keep telling yourself, this value, if it's loyalty, respect, honor, trust, faithfulness, this is important to me. If I give in to this fly, I'm breaking this value that's important to me. I was reading this other book this week, and um, uh, there was just this story about this guy. It's a true story. His name's Russell Christoph. And he's sitting in a coffee shop, and he's drinking some coffee, and he notices on the coffee cup in front of him that the, 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 the coffee company have used a photograph of a man as part of their advertising campaign. And he looks at the photograph, and he says, hang on a minute, that's me. And he sees his own face on a can, on, 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 a, on a coffee cup, and he thinks, that is me. And so he goes on their website and he checks out all their advertising stuff and he sees his face coming up time and time again. They've used his face as part of their advertising campaign and they never asked him. So what he does, and all of you are going to go to Starbucks afterwards and look, aren't you, for this. He goes, he goes to his solicitor and says, I don't think this is right. His solicitor says, you're absolutely right, it's not right. And eventually, long story short, they take him to court and they find in the favour of him that actually this company used his face without his permission in an advertising campaign. So they awarded this guy, Russell Christoph, 5% of their profits, $15 million. It pays to know who you are, doesn't it? It pays to know who you are. Because if you know who you are and you know your values, when the bright shiny fly comes along, you will know I ain't going anywhere near this because I know who I am. Young people, you're under so much pressure, especially sexually, but with drink and drugs and all that stuff. But to know who you are and say, do you know what? I don't have to do that. Everyone else might be doing it, although they're often not. They're just saying it. Everyone else might be doing it, but I don't have to do it because I know who I am. Wouldn't that be amazing if we had a generation like that? Of young people in our nation that didn't give in to all that kind of stuff because they knew who they were. Wouldn't that be awesome? So that's the fourth thing. Remind yourself of your values. Number five, watch the condition of your soul. You know, when you're hungry, anything on the menu looks good, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, because you're just so like hungry that you just go for anything. It's a little bit like in your car, you know, you've got the dashboard with all the lights. And I had a few lights come on in my dashboard recently. And being as practical as I am, not, all I did was ring up my garage and said, help, there's lights, deal with it. So I didn't have a clue what they were. But I, I knew they weren't good. They were indicating that something wasn't right with the engine. And when the condition of our soul is not good, then actually we are much more vulnerable to temptation. So you might think, okay, I'll just, I'll just keep away from the fly. I'll just keep away from the fly. Listen, if you're continually buying stuff to make you feel better, something is wrong with your soul. In just a case of keeping away from Mary Hill, that's a good thing to do. It's also a case of you asking yourself, do you know what, why do I keep feeling the need to buy stuff to make me feel better? Something on the inside is crying out for some help. 
So watch the condition of your soul. And number six, the final thing, don't stay down too long. What do I mean by that? When we slip up and we fall in temptation, one of the, the biggest traps, the biggest hooks that we get into is this. I've messed up. That's it. I might as well just stay down. That, that's a lie that is. You know that? The Bible says that, and, and it says it in this verse that we said, you know, don't think you're standing firm because you can fall. But no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. We all do it. The only person who was, who, who, who was tempted who never fell was Jesus. Every other person on planet earth has been tempted and fallen. The thing is this, failure is not falling. Failure is when you don't get up again. So if you this morning have fallen in temptation and you're saying, I feel so bad about it, I understand that. Don't stay bad and don't stay down. Get up. Get up and say, God, with your help, I'm going to go again. I don't need to stay down because that is a hook that you don't need to have in your mouth. So Joseph, this amazing guy, who leaves, runs out of the house almost naked, but with his integrity and his character intact. The fly, the shiny fly, he worked away from it. He didn't get hooked. Surely life will turn out really good for him, right? Let's see what it says. When she saw that he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. The husband comes home. She tells him, it says this, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He showed his kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Must feel a bit deja vu for Joseph, hasn't it? Here I am, you know, I find myself in a place I didn't expect to be. You're with me. You show me favor. Then it all goes wrong. <laughs> then I'm in another place and exactly the same thing seems to be happening. You see, God hasn't quite finished with Joseph yet. He's still got a lot more that he wants to do in his life. And the warden then put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with him and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometimes Christians um, can communicate a message that goes a little bit like this. If you become a Christian, give your life to God, nothing wrong or bad or uncomfortable will ever happen in your life again. See, we communicate this message. If you come, you become a Christian, everything's going to be great. God will never let you down. God will never disappoint you. And nothing bad will ever happen. Now, let me tell you, God will not let you down and he will not disappoint you. But life can be tough for a Christian as it is for someone who's not a Christian. How do you know that's true? And if we have communicated that message to you on behalf of Christians everywhere, worldwide, for the whole of history, not that I can do this, I want to apologize. Because that's actually not the truth. It's not the Bible. It's not experience. It's not the truth. The truth is this, that when you give your life to God, you give your life to God and God comes with you and enables you to deal with whatever happens in life. He works through those circumstances. He works behind those circumstances at times. What he does is he takes and shapes the bad, horrible stuff that's happened to us. He doesn't cause it, but he takes it and shapes it and makes it amazing. Because we'll see that this is only a chapter in, in Joseph's life. Next week, we can look at the fact that he does come into the palace and the dream does come true. But right now, he's stuck in this really difficult place. So I want to ask you a question. If you are a believer this morning, will you do what's right regardless of the outcome? Because often we'll do what's right if God then gives us the good outcome. 
But real character comes when we say, I'll do what's right regardless of the outcome. Secondly, if we are falsely accused, and I was chatting to somebody this week, accused of something at work, it can happen to a lot of us. If we are falsely accused, will we leave the ultimate justice up to God? That doesn't mean we don't do anything, but will we ultimately leave the justice up to God? Number three, if we've slipped up or messed up, will we stay down or will we choose to get up and go again? And number four, if right now, today, you know that there is a bright, shiny thing, there is a fly in your life and you see it and you want it and you're really close to grabbing it, will you have the strength and the courage to say, I'm not going to get hooked by this thing? If any of those things are true for you, then I want to encourage you to ask God to help you. Why don't we pray? We're going to pray. Then in a moment, we're going to sing again. And we're going to sing that song that we introduced to you this morning. Because I want you to go out of this place knowing that you have a guardian. You have God who goes with you, before you. When we wander off, his love will find us. His goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. But right now, if this morning this has resonated with you at all and there's any of these things that I've said and you say, do you know what, that's me, then I want you just in your own way just to talk to God. You may have never done this before. You may be thinking, oh my goodness. All it is is inside your head, if you like, just saying, God, will you help me? God, will you help me? Perhaps you've slipped up, you've messed up. You get this word, you get this voice in your ear, that guilt, that, that kind of saying, oh, look at you. You said you're a Christian. You said you're this. Look at that. Look at that. Just I say, Lord, would you help me? That's not God's voice. God, would you help me get up and go again? Maybe that you're really close to something that's going to hook you. Say, God, would you help me? God, would you help me? I need to run out of this room. Maybe that you've been falsely accused of something and your inclination is to want to make everyone know that actually it's not like it says, you know, I'm all right, I'm, I'm, I'm not guilty of this or whatever. But you say, Lord, I'm going to leave the justice up to you. Whatever it is, why don't you just ask God right now to help you? Lord, I want to pray for everyone here in this room. God, I thank you for these stories that are so ancient, yet are so relevant and so up to date. God, I pray that there wouldn't be anybody that will leave this place without thinking a little bit about how we live our lives. And God, the next time we see that bright, shiny fly and we say, oh, I want that. I'm going to eat that. We'll say, oh, hang on a minute. I don't think I'm going to do that. And we'll make that commitment and we'll ask for your help and we'll live the kind of life that Joseph lived. A life of integrity and character where you can look in the mirror and say, yeah, kind of pleased with what I did there and what you helped me to do there, God. I'm happy with that. God, would you help us to do that in Jesus' name, I pray. And everyone said, Amen.